0: Welcome to our podcast series,
1: Talking With Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. My name is Garth McKenzie. I've been trading since the age of 16. I headed up the retail derivatives desk for a large stockbroking firm in South Africa from 2003 until 2009. After that, I left the corporate world and I started traderscorner.co.za, an online service that caters to DIY traders providing analysis and trader education. I also ran the Traders Corner TV show on Business Day TV for over 10 years from 2009 to 2019. I've recently relocated to the UK and I trade both the South African and the offshore markets. Through this series, we hope to connect traders with other traders across the globe to share information, tips and general advice on derivatives trading. The podcast series is brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. On to today's episode. Joining me on the podcast this afternoon is Greg Davies, and Greg is the head of uh, wealth and and uh, head of wealth at Kratos Capital. And Greg um, I look on your Twitter profile, and I see on the top of your your background image on the Twitter, is a, a image of the JSE floor, and I know you've been around the market for a long time. Uh, I presume you were on the floor
0: back in the day, so uh, welcome Greg. It's good to chat to you. Oh God, thank you for the opportunity. Nice, nice to be in touch again. Um, yes, um, that, that's actually a painting which I think is hanging in the in the, the new JSE building, um, of the of the trading floor from back in the day. And um, you, you kind of look at it and you, and you know it's sort of based on a photograph and recognize some of the the faces there. But that's actually where my career started. I was very fortunate that my dad was a stockbroker at a company called B.C. Davies & Company. Um, and once I finished my national service and finished studying, I desperately wanted to get into the stockbroking game. Um, but my dad, <laughs> he probably... He probably, he realized how, how tough it really is. And he tried to dissuade me for quite some time. And then eventually we came to agreement at the time he had a, a farm out at Henops River. And he said, if you work on the farm at the weekends, you can come and work at the stock exchange during the week. And um, and after, after put, putting up with the farm for, for a while, I actually grew to, to love it really. And uh, obviously the stock market's been in my blood. I can remember sitting around the dinner table with my dad, telling me stories of things that happened on the trading floor and having a good giggle. So stocks and shares was something we, we spoke about from a very young age in the, in the Davies household.
1: Yeah. Brilliant. Like father, like son. So more or less, when was that, that you started
0: trading uh, on on the JSE? Yeah. I'm going to sound like a grandpa now, but it was it, it was around May or June of, of 1989. I okay, um, so. actually remember the day. The first thing I did was there was a firm called Rice Rinaldi and they were a listing of, uh, business called Aurora Granite and I was tasked with holding a, a video camera and filming the you know those days when a sh- new share listed it was quite a formal process someone would ring a bell and uh, the, sh- the share trading would would, would start so, so, so I made a recording of that and it kind of it was kind of nice to, the first time you're on the floor it is quite an intimidating place and at least I had a ca- camera in my hand so it looked like I had something important to do <laughs> but those days
1: on the floor were a lot of fun from from guys that i've spoken to i mean i i only joined the market uh formally in in 2001 so by that stage the floor had long since closed but you're know, chatting to to uh, older guys in the market old stalwarts the likes of yourself and other well-known figures in the in the industry it seemed like those days on the floor really were golden and the, and the, you had a lot of fun back in those
0: days Yes, a lot of fun, a lot of characters, a completely different way of, of trading to what we're doing now. Um, you had, you know, grizzled old traders that had been there for, for years, and you had sort of almost a hierarchy where there were certain people you'd have to go and greet them each morning and say, Good morning, Mr. So and so, good morning. Otherwise, sooner or later, someone would come and give you a punch on the shoulder and say, Why didn't you come and say good morning? And obviously, you had your bigger broking firms, which would have a, a team of traders, which would you know, each one would specialize in a, in a sector. And if you were a smaller broking firm as a, as a trader, you'd have to get in and and mix it with, with people, you know, were dominating in in a certain space. So a lot of relationships were made there. People were taken out for lunch and, and, and that kind of thing. And also a bit of a drinking culture as well. You know, we used to always say if you, the red room, which was the members bar was on the same floor as the JSC uh, trading floor. And if you, if you walked past the pub at half past four in the afternoon, in those days the market closed at four, you could tell how good the market was, but the the, the volume of noise coming out of that pub could tell you if it had been a bull market or, or a bear market that day. Um, but I, I miss it, I must say. It was it, it was a lovely time, and you, you basically knew everybody in, in the stockbroking industry. People would change firms, but you would still be in touch with them. And when it was first sort of promulgated that we were going to go into a computer-based trading we were a bit reluctant, really, and some of us thought, well, you know, it's certainly the the way of the future and, and what's heavy, but it'll level the playing field, it'll make things more honest, but um, I do miss the guys, I must say.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you do. I mean, all getting together on the floor, being in the same place every day, seeing each other, it builds a nice camaraderie, so I can well imagine, and I must say, I'm sorry that I was not around for those days in my own career, because it does sound like it was a great deal of fun. But now, Greg, you you trade um, for yourself, but obviously you also, you're head of uh, wealth at Kratos Capital. So you've got a book of clients that you also trade for. And um, we, before we started the recording, you were just telling me, you know, some of your uh, the bulk of your clients are, are long only, but you also do a fair amount of active intra intraday or short-term trading, both long and short um, but if we were to just go back a bit in your early years, I mean, I suppose it's in our blood, all of us that are involved in the market. We all trade for ourselves. We all trade for our, our personal account, our PA. Um, did you start right in the beginning, when in the, those days when you were on the floor, did you start trading for your personal account at that stage as well?
0: Yes. I mean, um, I suppose, you know, you, the bug bites you, you straight away. Um, there was... Um, a movie came out about 10 years ago called Molly's game. And the theme of the game was woman had, she was going to be a professional uh, skater in the Olympics and she hurt herself. So she started up a poker tournament, but one of the lines, which I'll never forget from the movie, it said money, which is won is twice as good as money, which is earned. And so anyone who's been bitten by the trading bug knows that even if it's 5,000 Rand that you made with the clever trade, the, the amount of pleasure that gives you is almost the same as 50,000 Rand that you had to really work hard for.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and that's right. I mean, I can certainly attest to that (laughs) being in the market, and I also know that the the losses also hurt like hell as well. (laughs) Sure, sure. (laughs) I always think, you know, know, a a five thousand rand loss hurts a lot more on a relative basis than a five thousand rand gain. Yeah, it swings both ways. It it does. Yeah, absolutely. But when you started uh, trading for your your own account back in those early years, um, what was it like? How was your success? Did you, did, you, did you do well from the outset or did you struggle in the beginning? Because a lot of us, I mean, myself, I, I battled in the beginning and you read a lot of trading books and guys um, blew up one or two or three accounts often in their early years, particularly if they're trading leveraged instruments. But I mean, you would have, I would imagine, started with straight stocks. They did, there wasn't really any futures or CFDs back in those days. But what, was your, what were your first couple of years
0: like as a trader? You know, in in an odd way, and I just sort of thought occurred to me right now. In some ways, it it was almost the other way around. I was the broker who was effectively going onto the floor and executing the trades. But the clients at that point were obviously more knowledgeable than myself. And my dad's firm, and then I joined another firm called Con Shapiro, had a base of wise old clients that had been in the market for years. And talking to them, and obviously you know, you're executing the instructions, they were actually like professors in university. You learned more hands-on and you actually physically did the trade. And they would explain why they were buying a particular stock that had been to a shareholders meeting, that heard of this. And often you'd go off and have a, a coffee with them after work and they, you would actually learn more. It shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be that way around, but you would, obviously as a broker, you know all the technical side. But um, the psychology of trading and investing and that kind of thing, you actually learned a lot from your clients. I would say the first four or five years, I learned more from listening to clients and watching how they traded and why they traded than uh, actually anything you could learn in a textbook.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I, I could also sort of uh, understand that my, my career also started out in a broking firm and likewise learned a lot from other people's mistakes, actually, uh, which I suppose is yes, fortunate in some respect. you learn a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah sure. That's, that's the thing. You see, You see people making blunders and you think, it seemed like such a good idea and then uh, you you learn and also sometimes you think something is a great idea and the clients will say listen you haven't thought of x y and z and, and so on so It's a sort of symbiotic relationship.
1: Yeah. What I also found with having clients uh, when I was in a firm when I was running the the trading desk at BOE um, is actually you've got a whole lot of extra pairs of eyes out there in the market looking for opportunities. You know, you've only got two eyes. Whereas if you've got a book of clients, they're all looking for something and often they might spot something that you didn't see. So that can be quite helpful.
0: Yes, and often in various industries they might be in mining or something and um, they understand the sort of a background to 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 what you you're trying to do in, in investing and so on
1: hi everyone once this series is complete there will be an ebook of the series that will include transcripts from all 10 episodes and a couple of surprises if you'd like to receive that ebook for free then all you need to do is click on the link included in the show notes to register your details alternatively also find that link on our facebook page the free copy will only be available to the first 350 subscribers. Back to today's episode.
0: I had a client who was, um, interestingly enough, a, a doctor in, up in Rustenburg where all, all the platinum mines were. And he would he would know which, which platinum stocks to buy. And I'd often think, you know, some, sometimes some of his patients must have given him a couple of heads ups on what was happening ha- hands on on the mind so that type of thing invaluable in, in in those days yeah absolutely right now i mean
1: now coming more to to the current time I and mean, as you say markets have moved on there's no longer the floor we trade on screen it's uh, there's algos at which some guys absolutely hate um it's the market's very different. But what is your sort of primary strategy now in terms of of how you trade when when looking for shorter term trading opportunities?
0: Yeah, I think, as you say, that algos is is a big thing that the flows of like, you know, the MSCI when they're buying emerging markets, when they're selling them. And so, and I feel sorry for everyone who's gone and studied the CFA, but it feels like the last 12 months, the fundamental analysis has become less and less important, and it's become much more macro. And and what I do, you know, as base as a basic theme is I look for situations where bad news comes out, and the stock or the, the underlying stock market doesn't react negatively. And it's been such a good example. These last two weekends we've had obviously Moody's downgrade us, and the and the rand initially weakened and then came back, and then the market didn't collapse. And it and then obviously you had Fitch. Uh, this this Friday, which gave us more or less the same thing, and again, the market didn't fall back. So twice, the market was telling you a lot of bad news is already priced in, and a really a dose of really bad news comes out, and the stock a stock doesn't fall or a market doesn't fall. For me, that's um, a sign to to go into the stock. I do I do believe in technical analysis, and I do think before you buy any stock or do any trade, spend 30% of your time that you're going to do thinking about the trade looking at the, the technical analysis, looking at the volumes, looking at the support levels. Um, some of our stocks have become so complicated to trade. I th- I'm thinking of things like NuzPass and Process that to try and understand the fundamentals is too complicated now. So I, I really rely heavily on technical analysis, um, support levels, breakouts. Uh, you know, when stocks are, are back on a support level, they break up or down from there.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean that's a very similar. I, I agree with that, and I think that fundamentals. Look, I think fundamentals ultimately do win out in the long run, but um, but technicals are what measure the market sentiment in the short term, and uh, for that reason, likewise, I'm also very much a technically driven trader, and I, and I think that um, your technical analysis is probably the best tool of measuring that market sentiment, and it'll give you a great deal more insight than than any sort of deep fundamental analysis will do for a short-term trader i'm saying
0: yes if you are you know if you on on the spot on the moment of a client saying to you do you think we should buy xyz at these levels i'll always pull up at least a three-month chart and have a look you know where the stock's been trading where the volume's being done and volume's very very important uh, and then sort of form a picture in my mind of, of where i think it's going forward from there
1: yeah. And your time frame on trades, you know, because every trader has a different style or, uh, yeah, there's not one size fits all kind of model. I mean, some guys are very ultra short term, trade the market intraday, job it in and out several times a day and go home flat at the end of the day. And then there are others that take a sort of a more medium term type of approach. Um, I, I certainly fit into that latter camp. What, wh- how would you, you know, what, what is your outlook? Do you trade um, Ultra short. Are you sometimes an intraday trader, or or would you say most of your trades are more than a, well, a couple of days?
0: Yeah, Kratos, where I work, was originally founded as, as a proprietary a day trading operation, and I would say 80% of the people there are, are day traders. And I think my initial idea of joining Kratos was I'm going to be in a room with 40 day traders. Obviously, I I can't copy their trades, but you'd have that pool of knowledge of people that are trading short term and ideas would come up all the time. I said, why not use use those ideas and, and offer them to, to to private clients to trade, obviously trade for, for myself. So I do a little bit of everything. I mean, today, I think we were chatting earlier, we are both trading Sassel like crazy, but I, I left at the end of the day without a position, but I traded Capitech, I traded Sassel, I traded First rand So I do a little bit of short term trading as well as, and then I I keep some things for like two weeks, you know, things like Sabanya, the the gold shares, um, the platinum shares, that type of thing. I I do sort of a two month basis. And then I've got some other very sort of long-term sort of deep macro kind of ideas, which I, which I put away for a couple of years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And when it comes to risk, um, how do you approach that? Uh, And and I'm thinking here more particularly with your shorter term trades, um, because obviously we all, you know, get it wrong occasionally we like to get it right and the, the, the secret in this game i suppose is being more right than wrong and being and and making more when you're right than what you lose when you're wrong but there are different approaches to risk and you know, the the standard uh thinking with trading is that you never risk more than 2% of your capital. Um, some guys say that it's you know, less than that, that 1% is the right number. How do you approach risk? Are you as rigid as that in terms of uh, where you would put a stop loss or how much m- money you're willing to lose on a trade? Or, or how do you approach risk?
0: Yeah, the one thing which I, I, and I mean, I think maybe I'm a contrarian in this, but I don't really believe in hedging. I, in the text someone I was reading an article said hedging is for, for gardeners, really. Um, you've got to have some some risk, really. Um, but yeah, I think the basics are, are, are there. You know, make sure, especially if you're trading on contracts for difference, make sure you've always got plenty of margins. So if I short a share, I'll always look to where, where it was at its all-time high, and I'll make sure I've got enough money. If it retraces to that, that I'd still i still have enough margin where I won't be stopped out. Um, but yeah, I think sort of one to two percent, uh, you know, of your capital on each trade. But, but um, it's almost like each share's got its own personality. So I sort of I sort of mould my thinking to each particular situation. I don't have that really hard and fast rule. A lot of it's guts and, and looking at the, at, at the screen at the moment.
1: Yeah, that gut feel, I must say, is, is something that I think those of us that have been around in the market for a while you know, know that that's, you can't teach that. It just takes time and experience to develop that gut feel. Um, we were talking earlier before we went uh, on the recording, and you mentioned Sassel. Um, we're recording this today, it's the 8th of April for those that are curious. And if you can look at the trading history in Sassel on the 8th of April, you'll see that it was the most incredible movements in that stock today. I it traded a range from uh, what 50 Rand up to 85 Rand, I think, during the day today.
0: And um, yeah, where, oh, the, 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 where in the world does a, a top 40 share move, move in that? It's trading like a penny stock. And I mean, From Monday morning, the market cap is 20 billion. By Tuesday afternoon, it's 50. By mid-morning on Wednesday, it's back to 40. So I mean, you are moving billions of rands worth of market cap in and out. And I think we were saying before, there, there, it's got to be a story behind this. Something's, you know, what always happens with these dramatic moves is we're all puzzled by them. We trade as well as we can. They don't make any sense. Um, A little bit of luck involved, but in a week or two. Um, the story will come out. I think with Sassel, it's fairly clear that they're going to need some sort of rights issue or some way raising more capital. Um, and so that's, I think that's, I think that the professionals are all saying be careful of Sassel and uh, a lot of private clients just went waiting in there and they, and they were right.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's been an incredible stock to trade lately.
0: Um, Greg,
1: obviously all of us as traders have a story and, um, and we've got our story of our best trades and our worst trades in, in our careers. Do you have any specific trades that stand out for you in all your years in the market? Let's start maybe with the best, uh, and uh, and are you able to share that that with us?
0: Yeah, I suppose it's it's definitely the best trade I've ever done, but in a a way it's got a sort of sad ending.
1: You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG, a world-leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button and you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes.
0: I I was working for a company called Greenwich um, and the company was doing really, really well. It was the Nasdaq bubble time and we were listing new companies. Of course, the Nasdaq bubble burst and uh, Greenwich unfortunately um, dissolved and I, I was sent on my way and I joined a, a firm called Angleran. And I'd been there for about a week, sitting in a room with, with guys, which I didn't know that well. And one of them one morning said to me, would you like to come to the Cashball shareholders' presentation? I said, I've not heard of it. But I thought, oh, the phone's not ringing and, and I might as well go and learn something. Um, so we arrive at the Cashball shareholders' meeting uh, we'll share sh- sh- presentation, you know, for investors, and he and I are the only two people there. Um, <laughs> Pat Goldrick's there, and he introduces himself. And now I'm furious with myself because I don't really know what what business Cashball is in. And he said, "Well, you know, there's no one's turned up. Let, let's let's go and have lunch." And uh, we sat down with himself and, and the FD, and we sat around speaking about the company. Um, and Cashball was trading; it had fallen, and it had bought Pat in from from Ireland to turn the business around and he explained the whole hardware business and how they were going to expand and the size of the market, uh, which they were going to try to penetrate. Um, so I ended up buying shares at, at about three rand or four rand a share um, and eventually sold it, that was around 2001, ended up selling it in about 2003 for about, about 55 rand a share. Uh, that's the nice part of the story. The sad part is, I think, as you probably know, Cashball ended up going as high as 500 rand a share. Um, so as close as I was to the story, I still couldn't believe my eyes when I saw it 55 rand, and eventually it was spinning off dividends of you know two or three rand a year. So I would have got my money back in in dividends as well. Unfortunately, I put quite a few of the clients in into the share, um, and it it sort of stood me in good stead. You know, the clients sort of, oh, this is the guy that found us Cashball, so. It, it had many positive spin offs that relationship
1: okay well that's a wonderful story and yeah it's that's been a great company i mean obviously been affected by the downturn in the economy uh, more recently yes the share
0: price is pulled us looking at it today is back to about 130 rand yeah.
1: yeah yeah so it's you know had that massive run up but it's not been immune and i, I mean it is a company that grew quite aggressively um and and I think, obviously, has been, like so many other companies, a victim of the, the Zuma years in South Africa and the very weak econ- economic environment that we've seen in the country. And um, if we then move on to your worst trade?
0: Yeah, I was actually looking up the dates when I saw your email with the questions. So what happened in about 2007? Um, and I mean, just remember, the market had been on a tear from about 2002 to 2000. And obviously, the crash was kind of first signs were 2007 eventually took place in probably about May or June of 08. Um, Prime media was listed then and the share price had been slowly improving and been in the mid teens of the 17, 18, 19. And eventually it was announced that there was going to be a sh- share buyout at about 24 Rand a share. And um, it was a valuable lesson. And so I, it sort it was like trading at 21. I did the time value of money calculation and you know, how long, before I got my money back and then I geared myself and I bought as many prime media shares as I could, I could carry in my, in my carry accounts. But I didn't look through carefully enough at, you know, the, the salient features of the deal. And there was a bond that was trading in Europe and that bond had to stay below, above a certain level. Otherwise the deal would fall through. And obviously, i paid 20, 20 odd rand for the share. The deal fell through the share would have probably fallen back to 15 um and so i was right on my limit with my margin and then for one day that bond came below once the market started to crash then in europe it it came below the share dropped a couple of rand i had a huge margin call i sold and about a week later the deal went through at the 24 rand. so Mm -hmm. the lesson there was make sure you do your homework properly and if you're going to put a lot of money down the table understand all of the risks do the homework don't just take the brochure and and throw it back the car and look at it later. You have to, you have to know what you're doing because there's always something which you, which you haven't thought of with the market
1: yeah it's such an interesting story I, I i was also caught up in that exact same trade i'm smiling now while you're talking about it because i yeah, I, had the, now, I, I, I think so many of us that were in the market exactly and that bond i'm just racking my brain now trying to think what the damn thing think, was called yeah. because uh, unfortunately i haven't got it it's on the tip of my tongue but you know it was something that none of us had ever heard of and then all of a sudden we all became fixated on this one bond <laughs> we, became, we, all,
0: expert in bonds. we became
1: experts yeah. on this one thing that was you know that that this whole deal hinged around the, the, this one particular bond. I remember that very very, clear, clear, very well. And I also remember sweating uh, like crazy on that trade as well. Because I think all of us in the market were in it. Because like you said, it, it, it looked like a slam dunk and an opportunity to make some easy money.
0: You know? Yeah. yeah it's, it's always the case. You've got to look at it from, you know, worst case scenario you've got to price in. But also, the, as I was saying my trading show, do you always keep enough margin for, for a worst case?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good lesson. Is that you've, you've always got to remember, and it's what um, Mark Douglas says in his book Trading in the Zone that you remember anything can happen in the market, and um, yes. and like that, you know, even the most unexpected thing can happen. And for that reason, you've got to always just you know be careful of how much leverage you take on, because in the event that some sort of black one happens, you don't want to
0: be wiped out. And um, that's, well, that that's means, been yeah, a big 2020s, lesson. yeah. This year has been the best example ever. You've had two black swans. You've had obviously the, the uh, virus and you've had the oil, oil price collapsing. So, And I mean, uh, beginning of this year, none of us would have even occurred to us. We thought, well, the oil's around 55. That's probably where it's going to be for the rest of the year. And, and look, you know, look what's happened.
1: Yeah, exactly. Just two more questions before we wrap up, um, Greg. A lot of us in the market love to read trading books, and um I've been asking all the, the candidates on these interviews if they've got a favorite trading book that they would recommend. Have you got one in mind that springs to the you know top of your head immediately?
0: Yeah, there's so many, and obviously people must read, you know, like Warren Buffett's books and so on. But my favorite is the alchemy of finance. It's George Soros. Um I don't know if he's updated it, but there's just so many lessons in there. Um Obviously, massive hedge fund manager and quite a controversial character of late, but um, just fascinating insights. I'm actually a bit lazy, so I actually downloaded the audio book and uh, I went for long walks and I, with my headphones on. And I, was, you know, you end up walking an extra five kilometers, which We're just amazed at the amount of knowledge that you can, you know, gain from these. The, 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 you know, the, the wisdom that's in in these books is amazing.
1: Yeah, that's right. I don't think that's lazy at all. I think that's actually very good utilization of your time. You're getting some exercise and you're getting some intellectual stimulation at the same time. Um, yes, your I, mind is not on the on the how
0: how hot you are walking around. Yeah,
1: exactly, I, I listen to. I, in fact, most of the books I consume now are actually audio books because you can do and you it can while get you're. get through
0: a lot more. You can uh, get through a lot more, really. really well, that's it.
1: You know. I, I mean, I, I find I you know if I go to the gym and I'm running on the treadmill, I'll listen to an audio book. Or if I'm catching the train into London here, I'll listen to an audio book. Or dare I say, even if I'm cleaning my house now that I live in the UK and have domestics in here <laughs> well, listen, to help us. Yeah, you know, so I, I find myself putting my headset on and actually, you know, while I'm vacuuming the house, I listen to an audiobook And it's actually, instead of it being a complete, you know, useless waste of time, it becomes productive time to listen to an audiobook yeah. while you're doing something else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think all, all traders like to be able to do two things at the same time. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> so last question then, Greg, before we wrap up is... Um, you, know, you guys at Kratos do get a lot of youngsters that come in there and um, take up a desk at the, uh, and, and start trading. If someone, a youngster, came to you and said, look, I, wa- I want to start trading. This is a career that I want to g- get involved with. What two or three pieces of advice would you give to a youngster starting in this business?
0: Yeah, I've sort of sat in on those meetings and, uh, and really it's, it's tough. And I mean, the, the guy which runs that division um, always says to these young traders, you can come and sit here and you can trade, but you've got to say to yourself, you could, if you're doing trading for a living, you might go 18 months without an income. And if you can't do that, then then, then you mustn't trade. So you do get youngsters still sort of, you know, with their parents and, and that kind of thing. Um, or, or people have got into their thirties, sold a business, built up a lot of capital, which they they can fall back on. So, Trading for a living is is really tough. Um, I suppose all the basics really risk stop losses are so important. You know, in everything. I even my long-term equity stocks. Probably something it's taken me a long time to learn. But as much as you love a share, you still got to have a have a stop loss for it. Even if you've said I'm keeping this in, in, until I retire. But on the trading, I think it's probably read read a lot of books. Spend time talking to successful traders, asking them, you know, for for advice or would you see, you you know, what level would you get in, what level would you get out. So as much time as you can spend around experienced traders, I think that that's probably the key. Yeah, yeah, great advice. Well, that's it then, Greg, we've
1: run out of time. So I'm going to wrap up the interview there. It's really been Fascinating talking to you. I knew it would be. It's always great talking to guys that have got such a lengthy experience in the market. So thank you very much for your time today. I appreciate it. I think the listeners are in for a treat listening to this podcast when it comes up in the next couple of weeks.
0: Great. Thanks, Garth. Take care,
1: Greg. Thanks so much. Great. All the best. Ciao. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of Talking With Traders, brought to you by IG, a world-leading CFD provider. We really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series. Please follow us on Facebook and engage with us there. And a reminder to make sure you subscribe to the series by clicking the subscribe button on your favorite app. Till next time.